Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode number 28 of Off the Block Swimming Podcast. Thank you all very much for downloading our show today, wherever you're listening in from. I'm your host, Robbie Cox. Now, massive week here on the show as we are celebrating International Women's Health Week here on the podcast. Every day you'll be hearing from some of the strongest, most talented women in our sport, both past and present, and either in the pool or with a stopwatch in their hand. And we are starting the week off right with former Olympian and Australian record holder, now head coach up on the Sunshine Coast, Janelle Elford, or these days better known as Janelle Pallister. Spoke to Janelle a few weeks ago about her time as an athlete on the Australian team, her Olympic experience, how she's seen swimming evolve and change through her time. We also talk about her picking up a stopwatch, going into coaching, as well as working with one of the most talented swimmers in the world right now, who just happens to be her daughter, Lani Pallister. So put your feet up for the first time today. Take your moment for yourself with us here on the podcast and get ready because Ep 28 with Janelle Pallister starts now. Away they go. No problems with the start. There is two 100s in the second in it. Gary Hall Jr., the extrovert, and Ian Thorpe battling it out down the pool. show is a former Olympian and Australian record holder and as an athlete she competed for Australia at the highest level and these days alongside her daughter Lani she is still involved in swimming at the highest levels as a coach helping guide and mentor Lani along with the squad there at Cotton Tree Swim Club on the sunny coast of Queensland. It is my pleasure to welcome to Off the Block Swimming podcast to Janelle Pallister. Janelle how are you? Hey Robbie how are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. No, not a trouble at all. Now, I, I've said this before, but I'll say it because now people can see it. The, the flag behind you is, is very um, placed perfectly in terms of the camera and everything. Did you do that on purpose in terms of the camera angle to get it set well, up there? Well, the flag's been up there, you know, very sentimental, but I did actually put the camera, I thought it'd be um, quite symbolic. So I have sort of angled it a little bit. I can put it back with, if you want my head in front of no, me. No, but, no, um, no, I thought it was just great camera work. I just thought there's, there's someone who knows how to work a camera because that was just a perfect shot. <laughs> yeah, and, you know, and I've got Farlap behind uh, next to it, you know, that's Big Red was the nickname of Farlap in my yep. old nickname when I swam, so... Yeah, we'll, we'll get to a few of those stories in a moment. But first, I want to touch on mate, um, the pandemic at the moment, um, you know, has affected everybody differently. Depends on where you live. You know, God bless the, the poor people of, of Melbourne and everything they're going through at the moment. Yeah. Um, what about for yourself at home and at, at work? How were you affected? Well, um, I think it was a Tuesday afternoon when I walked in and um, they, they pretty much said, look, this is the last afternoon we're closing as of 6, uh, 6.30 tonight, um, you know, so we did our last session on the Thursday, on the Tuesday and we, you know, we instilled a little bit of fun. We had a bit of a water polo game and, you know, made the swimmers, you know, I suppose finished the last day with a little bit of fun and happiness. And, um, but we're, we're, you know, we're very fortunate up here on the sunny coast. We're able to get down the beach and, and continue swimming pretty much right through the pandemic until we started back in the pool. So, you know, we um, we were extremely fortunate, and um, we utilised it. And you know, well, some utilised it, some some chose not to. And we all sort of deal with stress in our own way. Um, so yeah, so extremely fortunate, and uh, and uh, now back in the water. And it just sort of seems like we, you know, with the the way that squads are going, nothing really has changed for us up here. You know, mm-hmm. and and I do feel for those that that uh, it has changed for. But uh, where we are, it, nothing has really come about other than the uncertainty of uh, competition, that's all. So because of the, the use of being able to get into the beach straight away and all that sort of stuff, did you see in terms of when you came back to the pool, you know, um, training-wise, everything, you know, was fairly similar? Maybe swimmers were slightly off on, on maybe a bit of fitness, but not too much? 
you know, we we came back and and my um, my focus, I suppose, the first four weeks out of everything um, was just purely on getting a little bit of aerobic fitness and technique. You know, and because I, I said, you know, we, we've had an opportunity to have, it was, you know. 13, I think it was 13 weeks out of the water, which is unusual for, for the swimming community to have that long out. Um, you know, so I, I said, you know, let's take this opportunity to start back with a focus on technique. And it was, you know, the, the streamline, there was a minimum amount of butterfly kicks off the wall and not a maximum, but a minimum. And, um, you know, every lap had to be um, a, a process of, of technique and, and uh, a thought process of, you know, of... Um, posture and what they had to concentrate on so you know we took opportunities where where they were and we uh we tried to do the best we could a lot to unpack with your career both in and out of the pool so let's jump straight into it um you were an amazing swimmer in your own right there's no doubt i you know obviously i i know of your swimming career but i you know know you more personally as a coach but let's get into your swimming what drew you towards the pool as a youngster um you know, I listened to Lani's podcast and she kept on saying she was thrown into things. Um, <laughs> we've never really been thrown into anything. But uh, my sister was going through to learn to swim and I was actually quite a severe asthmatic. And the doctors said to me, and I, and I had an asthma attack. And my doctor actually eventually said to my parents, you need to take her down to the pool. You need to just get her to, to um, you know, the regulated of the breathing rather than just walking around breathing and uh, I think so there was more the regulation of breathing with the, the swimming lessons and things like that so I sort of um, I, yeah I, I got into that way I, I didn't like it I hated it when I first started I would cry and you know carry on and things but I had a uh, learn to swim teacher her name was Mari and she um, she used to bribe me so if I did a lesson without crying she would paint my nails so um, hence I suppose the the um, extrinsic uh, motivation of yeah. uh, you know, <laughs> I went through a lesson and I got my nails painted. Yeah, that is motivation. And it just, it just snowboarded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, did you ever get money? I used to get two dollars for a PB when I was younger. Did you <laughs> ever get money? No, I never got money. No, no. But I, you know, I would do. I would um, would make bets with my parents and things like that. And I remember when the kid, my both my kids were swimming. You know, I would say, okay, if you if you get a PB, I'll, I'll you know you can get an app, which was like ninety nine cents. Yeah. They had no idea of the the value, but they got a little app on their <laughs> yeah. their um, iPod. <laughs> it's amazing what can be achieved so, with just that yeah. dollar or two dollars back in the day. That's for sure. Absolutely. Like, what um. What sort of a swimmer were you when you were younger in terms of going into squads when you're in junior squads? Because as a coach, you know, there's many different uh, characters in the pool. We've got our leaders who are on the clock and everyone relies on them because if they're not there, the whole world goes to, <laughs> goes to shit because no one knows when to go. You got the people who are happy to be at the end and, and sort of plod along and they just sort of, uh, you know, enjoy being there. They've got the ones in the middle, the, the you know, the um, competitive ones who are always on each other's feet. What sort of a, a younger swimmer were you in squads? When I finally actually got into squad, I was one of those ones that was in lane six wanting to get to lane one. And, um, you know, I, I sort of, I would, I, yeah, claw myself over anyone that, you know, to get my way up to lane one. And then when I finally got up to lane one, I was at the back of the lane and and it was almost like I was like the little bunny in front of the greyhound. So I'd have to take off, you know, at the back. So the front, you know, for the front runners didn't actually try to, you know, didn't catch me and, and things like that. So it was always a play, a play of, of cat and mouse, and um, and I would like that. But you know, I, I did uh, I did acquire a nickname when I was young um, that not many would would know. But it was uh, my nickname was Flea because I was a bit of a pest, you know, mm -hmm. and I was you know trying to get over everyone, and I was bouncing around and a little bit of an annoyance, I suppose, at five thirty in the morning. Yeah. But, um, yeah. So it was. <laughs> Do you think that's um, been lost a little bit in terms of that hierarchy in, in squads and in training? Not so much probably from our perspective, because I know I certainly like swimmers to know, you know, the, the top dogs are the top dogs because they've earned that spot and they've worked to it. And if you want to get into that space, you've got to work hard as well. But do you think younger swimmers these days, just given the generation that it is, they want to get there just because they said they wanted to and they don't really work as hard to get to those spots? 
Um, you know, I, I've got the way I sort of set my my program up. We got a senior squad and a junior squad, and the junior I won't allow the juniors up into my squad unless they prove it to me. And it's not just because they're the best in the lane. They, you know, they have to show um, the ability and the want to 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 really get up into the senior squad. And you know, and I'll walk past and I'll go, oh, that's not really good enough. That's not senior squad mentality, or you know, and uh, and things like that. So you know, I try, I do try to encourage that that desire to mm. to to want to get up and and to want to be in that that senior squad, and then to go from the the lowest lane in the senior squad to the next lane, and then the next lane, and and things like that. So you know, I I always say you have to earn the right. You you can never just think, oh, I'll just go up there. You have to earn the right to get up there. And, um, you know, I keep on saying, you know, because I'm really old now that, you know, that uh, my old fashioned ways is that I, I won't kiss and cuddle you and you just go, yes, you can get whatever you want. You have to earn it. Yeah, I think that's perfect advice. Earn the right. Yeah. Talk to me about the coaches you had during your swimming career and how they helped, uh, you know, shape you as an athlete. Uh, well, I, as I said, I had uh, Murray that um, was my learn to swim teacher and, uh and then I had a, a gentleman called uh, Horry Clark, and he was very meticulous on on technique. And I was, you know, at the age of seven, I was going across a six lane twenty five meter pool, and and you know, at the age of seven, I was I was doing thirty seven seconds for a fifty three star, but because um, I and I think I only remember it, it was thirty seven point seven because I was seven years old. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he was still he would only still allow me to go across and back and cross and back. He wouldn't let, allow me to do laps until my technique was was up to his standard. And then I would move up and I moved up to, to a coach called Cole Jones as a junior coach mm-hmm. uh, as a, in my junior years. And then uh, I sort of hit like a bit of a rocky period. You know, I was around that 15, 16 mark. And, uh, you know, I, I plateaued and I was either going to give it away or give it another go. So I decided to, to give it another go. And, and thanks to a guy called Ross Payne, uh, who was a, um, uh, a, I suppose, a mate, a, a training mate of mine, and he said, "Why don't you come down and, and give Dick Kane a go?" So I went down and uh, and had a meeting. It was on a Wednesday, and then I started on the the Thursday. I actually went and said thank you to Cole Jones for the mm-hmm. time that he'd given me, and uh, went back in Thursday morning with Dick Kane. It was the first Thursday in October in 19, oh, 1986, so a long time ago, and I thought I'd died and gone to hell, and it was, <laughs> it was hard. I thought I, I trained hard, but it was hard, and I, yeah, I sort of second-guessed, thought, oh, my God, what have I done? So I, sort of, I said to myself, you know, if I survive this, I'll be either, you know, I'll either become an Olympian or, yeah. um, or, or, or I'm going to crack. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I survived it and I became an Olympian. <laughs> I'm glad you said you went back and spoke to Cole Jones and thanked him for his time. I, I definitely, as a coach, I see that not happening quite as much these days. People see us as coaches as just public servants. And then once we're finished, they just, you never see them again. And there yeah. we are sitting there planning, doing all these things. We've got their splits. Yeah. We've got their, you know, projections. And then uh, you, where have they been? And then someone from yeah. the office says, oh yeah, they cancelled. Yeah, yeah, it's extremely hurtful, you know. And I, you know, anyone that that does come to me, I always say, you make sure that you go and thank your coach, because you never burn a bridge. You never know if you need to cross that bridge again. And um, it was something that was instilled into me with with uh, through my parents, my mum and dad. And um, you know, you always you always say thank you, and and you, you don't uh, you don't bag anyone. It's just that your journey's taken another direction. Any lessons you learned as a young athlete, you know, with, with those coaches you mentioned that you're now using as a coach to pass on to the next generation? Uh, yeah, my, my Horry Clark, who was the, the one, my very junior coach, he, he actually would pull you out by the ear. So these, these days, I'm not allowed to do that. No, so. I was going to say, you're still doing that. <laughs> I know. No, no, yeah. So he would pull you out by the ear. So he actually really taught you to get your cap right, right down low. Um, you know, so, um, but, you know, I think a lot of the things that, that Dick Kane taught me and Bill Sweetman taught me, Brian, you know, Brian Sutton, they're th- three main coaches in my, my senior career. Um, they taught tenacity. They taught um, how to handle hard work and also humility. Hey, talk to me about your Olympic experience in 1989, uh, 1988. <laughs> yeah, yeah, a while ago. <laughs> well, uh, I think you were, were you 18 at the time? 
I was 18, yeah. Yeah. I turned 18 in the February and, and competed in the August. Did you get time to soak in the experience when you're there being that age? I mean, I think Lani's only just turned 18. So you, you think yeah. about um, that age. Were you able to enjoy the experience for what it was or being at that age was it a little bit overwhelming? Well, you know, there, there's, it's, it's funny. You know, I did march. You know, I marched in the opening ceremony. Um, Julie McDonald marched and she was in the, the 800 with me. Sheridan Burge Lopez marched and she was in the 400 with me. So we all actually did march. Um, so we, we were able to, to experience the, the opening ceremony. Um, and you, you do soak it in, but I don't think you soak it in until you're a little bit older to appreciate it. Mm. So, you know, and, um, and back when I, when I did swim, it was only five days. So it wasn't the eight-day um, program that the swimming has now. It was only the five days. And, um, you know, it, 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 it uh, was intense for five days. And you don't really understand the enormity of it until, like I said, until you get a bit older and appreciate what you actually did you know it's sort of you you go you you, you're going about your business you've got the job to do you're you're going about your business you you know you sort of there's a process to follow the blinkers are on and uh and things like that and so um after the swimming finishes you know that their hair was let down and uh yeah we we um there's a couple of stories but you know i think (laughs) there's what stays on what happens on tour stays on tour you know they're Things like that. <laughs> I was talking to Susie yesterday and I def- I said, we've got to start like a, not an adults only because that sounds too <laughs> naughty, but we've got to start like a, a one for adults where we can tell stories because there's so many athletes I talk to that I know they've got stories about <laughs> trips away and things, but clearly this is a, this is definitely a family show. So we're not going to. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, get- Susie at the Commonwealth Games actually after competing. Yeah. Um, you know, the Big Mac and on the, yeah, it was, it was quite funny. She's on the bottom and this is actually a, a, um, a, a, a PG is okay. Yeah. yeah family friendly. Yeah. No. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and everyone was piling on top of her and she looked like one of those cartoon characters where the eyes were about to pop. So it was quite funny. <laughs> what Commonwealth Games was that one? That was 1990. That was Auckland? Yep. Yeah. Um, you obviously that didn't scar her because she she says that's her favorite games ever she said even <laughs> she said it was just so much fun she said yeah. there was no pressure on me i just had fun i enjoyed yeah. it the team atmosphere was the best so yeah it was good go. she didn't mind dance, <laughs> <laughs> Mate, in terms of uh, swimmers listening to this podcast if they're around that 15 16 age group when did you start eyeing off making an Olympics? At what time, you know, in your career, did you start looking at that as, as an option to say, okay, well, I want to start to really charge towards that? I actually said I wanted to be, to go to the Olympics when I was 10. And, you know, which is a strange time because it was the 1980 Olympics when there was, you know, a lot of the boycotting and things yeah. like that. Um, you know, and there was someone as a lady called Lisa Forrest and, and she she, um, I always saw her because I was, I was a New South Wales swimmer and I always saw her around um, state titles and things like that. And, um, and, I, and I saw her, she was always happy. She always had this big, well, you, well, you know, you, you, you thought she was always happy because she had this beautiful big smile and had a, you know, a beautiful presence. And you always had time for, for the kids and, you know, which I was, I was only 10 at that stage. So, um, you know, and I saw the, the likes of her and Michelle Ford and, you know, the Mean Machine with, with Neil Brooks and, you know, getting up there and, and uh, Norman May winning, you know, with the gold, gold, gold and things like that. And I think that really um, spurred me on to like, yeah, this is what I really want to do. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so, I, I, you know, and, I, and I, was, I started out as a breaststroker. So how does a breaststroker actually become a distance swimmer? <laughs> so, yeah, you know, question. the journey changes <laughs> along the way if you don't have blinkers on. Yeah. In terms of your, you know, your swim there, your swimming there at 1988, how do you look back on your results? I don't think I got the best out of myself. I, you know, I, I certainly had... Um, uh, a better time, like better times going in than what the times that I swam. Um, I, I do believe that I, I let the the um, what they call the Olympic Circus get in my way, but also the presence of the the East German females that were around as well. And you know, you, you couldn't help but um, look at them and and 
uh, feel not inferior, but, you know, be affected, you know, because it was the first time I'd actually been exposed to them. I, I, I had raced some um, in the, the January prior, yeah. but uh, not the, not necessarily the ones that I was racing at the Olympics. And, and they, were, they were quite imposing, you know. So, um, yeah, I think I, allow, I, I allowed that to get in my, my head too much. And so racing-wise... Yeah, racing-wise then, how did that sort of affect you? Did you just sort of get, you know, go out too hard, get too aggressive at the front end? What sort of effect did that racing-wise have? I, I just, I think I actually thought that I wasn't good enough, mm. which, which is crazy yeah. to think that here you are, you know, top two in Australia, you made the Olympic team and you're at the Olympics and, and you don't think you're good enough. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's definitely. And again, to go, just going back to being 18, do you think it was, it was an, an age thing and a maturity thing as well with the experience? Like, do you think well, that, you that played as part? If look, if it's 32 years ago. So 18, you were sort of starting to come, you, you know, you're, you're at your prime at 18. And then we had a, a um, Susie Bormuch. So she was in, she was rooming in the, the, the uh, apartment. There was five of us in the apartment and Susie was the oldest. She was 21. And we went, wow, you're so old, you know, and 21, I know. And it's, yeah. it's ridiculous to think that, you know, you thought someone was old for, at 21 to, to be swimming, um, mm. you know, back 30 years ago, 32 years ago, whereas now, you know, it's, it's quite that, that that's, you're starting to really come into your own and, and start to really know what life can start to really um, open up to you. Mm. Well, it's interesting now we look at it, isn't it? Because I think the average age of a final at the Olympics is like 23 or 24. I don't know if it's different for men or females, but it's around that same age. And you look at certainly people I talked to, I spoke to Hannah Miley not long ago, great um, yeah. Scottish and, and English, uh, Great Britain swimmer. And so I think she turns 31 this year and she's still, she's going to, you know, go to Tokyo and, or certainly trial and try and make the team. Holly Barrett yeah. from WA, I think she's about 31 yeah. as well and still, still yeah. killing it so yeah times have definitely changed haven't they yeah absolutely you know and there was dara torres from the u.s and she, she you know she came back and after having you know a child as well and and uh and 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 meddled again mm. so you know it can be done you know it's just you need the support there and and i don't think in the 80s um late 80s you know the early 90s that the support was really there to encourage you to keep going and and I remember in 92 when I went to the trials in 92 I was 22 um, I missed the team and, and it was almost because I missed the team um, people just expected you to retire so that's what you did you retired mm. and you know which is sad because I went home from that those trials and I packed everything up and I was like okay next part of my life yeah so you, you sort of pushed it aside yeah, especially when you, as I said, when you look at, you know, how everything is now and you look back then, you think, well, geez, I still had a lot of more years in me, really, if I, if I wanted to, in the right yeah. environment, as you said, with the right encouragement and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. yeah. What about, if, yeah, you, know, you know, Yeah, absolutely. We live, we learn. Um, yeah, in terms absolutely. of your fantastic career, what are some of the moments that you look back on and, and you're most proud of? Um, I think making the Olympic team, you know, I, the, I remember the excitement of making the Olympic team and, um, and then, um, you know, the, the opening ceremony, the closing ceremony, being part of it, you know, and I think I, I can look back now and, and, and it's, it's something special to me. Um, the Commonwealth Games was a, it was a great opportunity. You know, um, I was able to wear the, the supposedly the national outfit and the opening ceremony. And um, again, um, we all participated in the opening ceremony there. It was fun. Susie said it was fun. Um, you know, we did the chicken dance and we were just, you know, we were, we were quite a good united team and, and quite a strong team at the, the 90 Commonwealth Games. Pampak, you know, they were all fun. And I think it's also, you know, the life lessons along the way that, that I learnt that, uh, that yeah, has put me in the position that I, I'm in today. Now, that flag, where, where did it come from? <laughs> I, I acquired it from the pool area. Um, yeah, it, was, uh, it wasn't just laying on the ground, but I did acquire it, put it that way. <laughs> Acquire, yeah. Let's leave it at that word. Yeah. <laughs> now, obviously, these days, mate, you're you're a, you're a coach. You're a good coach. You're a head coach there at, at Cotton Tree. 
Um, how did you get stuck into coaching? How did it all start for you? I never wanted to be a coach. I, I always said I would never, I, I never wanted to do it. I, I, was, I always thought that I'd be too hard as a coach, too, too demanding. Um, but I, I was a flight attendant. I, you know, when I retired from swimming in 92, I, 93, I became a flight attendant with Qantas. And, um, and, you know, I sort of thought, well, you know, how do I keep traveling without paying for it? So I didn't have to do the training. I, I just started, yeah. you know, I worked. So I, I kept traveling. And um, so, and I was sitting by the pool. I had Lani and my son, Owen, and uh, we'd moved up to the sunny coast. So I was taking some holidays, some holiday redundant, you know, um, some long service leave and stuff. And uh, I was asked if I would fill in because one of the coaches were away. So I, I sort of quickly said, oh, look, I don't have any credentials and, you know, I don't have any, you know, accreditation or anything. And that was all, no, 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 it's okay, it's okay. We know what you know. We know that your history and stuff. So, um, yeah, so I just sort of did it and then, you know, and I, I sort of had more requests of doing it again. And I said, no, no. I said, I'm happy to do some technique stuff, but I'm not going to get involved, in, you know, anymore. So then another position came over and they said, oh, well, you know, can you just do this for us? So then I went into a junior role and some learn to swim and, and I said, but I don't want to go anymore. And then yeah. one of the girls that, you know, I was coaching, she went on to state titles and I, and I always sort of said, you know, an athlete should have the coach there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so I went to state titles and to cut a long story short, here I am today still coaching. So it all just spiralled into... Just kept going, basically. Yeah. You just were doing yeah. one thing after. No, no, I'm not going to. Okay, I'll do that. And then, yeah, just yeah, kept yeah. going. Yeah, yeah. It's almost like I couldn't say no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What did you enjoy most about it? Clearly, there was a, an enjoyment level there because you, you wouldn't just keep saying yes if you really didn't like it. You really weren't, you know, enjoying the process and being a part of it. So what did you enjoy most about it to, to make you want to keep going? I think it was the, the um, helping the kids um with their technique you know helping them get better and then when they got you know then they they got a little bit of excitement you know that that fueled me and then and you know and I was happy because they were happy and you know I was able to help them along the way and and you know and teach them different life lessons and tell them different stories and you know and and um and explain that you know this this is you know, not everyone will be a champion, but everyone can be the best they can be. And you will learn this with your with your jobs along the way. And, and um, you know, and if you stand, you can stand out here, you can stand out um, if there's your one person amongst a thousand people going for a job and things like that. And I think that's where the passion sort of started to really come into the, the side of coaching is, is to try to help them to be the best person they could be. As coaches, mate, we, we're all very different. We're either some are relaxed, some are high intensities. You know, everyone's got their own unique way of, of doing things. What do you think your sort of coaching style is? How do you think, you know, your style best works for, for getting the, the right, um, you know, results from your athletes? Uh, I think, you know, you, if you spoke to a lot of people, they would say that I was quite strict. Um, you know, I have, I have definitely have my um, rules, you know, one is uh, punctuality. And my saying is, you, if you're early, you're on time. If you're on time, you're late. Late's unacceptable. Yeah. So pretty much all the, all the swimmers that I'm, you know, I have, they can, they can say that straight off the top of their head and the parents come in and they go, oh, you're so annoying, you know, because <laughs> I have these kids in the car going, mom, I can't be late. I can't be late. I can't be late. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that's one of them. Um, respect. Definitely respect if, you know, you listen with your eyes and your ears. So you show respect to the person that's trying to help you, trying to talk. Um, you respect your teammates. Uh, you put the effort in. You put, you know, you give 100% effort. Um, yeah, and, the, you know, there's no rudeness. There. You know, we have, we, I, I go through the squad quite regularly and get them to write down the, the, um, the essentials and the non-negotiables. So, yeah, the non-negotiables are the back chatting and, being rude and being late and things like that. So I try to get them to set out our guidelines. And um, I think because there's been a lot of subliminal messages along the way from me. Yeah. Do you think that's the key to having a good team culture? My, my next question was going to be how important is, you know, a good team culture. You've obviously as an athlete been a part of some great teams with the Australian team and there's no doubt um, you know, there's a great team culture there. And then, you know, now as a coach, you, you're trying to drive that and build that yourself. Do you think those sort of things that you just touched on there are keys to that, 
team culture. And when I say the word team culture, what does that mean to you? Because that, I mean, that gets used a lot, team culture, but I, I think yeah. sometimes people just say it because that, you know, there's different meanings for different people. Yeah, you know, I, I do. I do believe it's important to have a good team culture because, you know, if you have one bad egg, that can start to spoil everyone else because they, they, they start to drag them down you know, they start to drag people down to make them feel like they're, they're, they're the one with the right answer. Instead of having, you know, people come in and, and um, uh, boosting you and saying, come on, that's a good job or keep going, yeah, you might be tired, but, you know, it, 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 I think it's um, support. There's all support mechanisms and, and things, you know, that, that's important, you know, and that, that goes from your local club right through to the, you know, to the Australian Olympic team, you know, there, there has to be that, that encouragement along the way and that, that support along the way. How much do you enjoy coaching up there at Cotton Tree? You've been there a, a while now, great group of athletes. Yep. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's a great, it is a good group of athletes, you know, and I have a very um, diverse, I suppose, group, you know, I have surf swimmers and pool swimmers, you know, and I have people that are playing rugby, you know, that are coming in for, you know, the, the extra cardio fitness and the breathing that, that swimming provides for their rugby, um, you know, I have hockey players that come in and that, you know, so I'm not, um, I don't turn people away because they don't want to be a high performance swimmer. You know, I, I like to be able to help everyone that wants to be the best they can be. And that that's pretty much where my philosophy um, in regards to coaching lies, you know, that I, that I do try to be able to help everyone to be the best they can be. Do you think there's any difference uh, mentality wise in managing the boys and the girls? Do, is there, you know, a certain uh, lighter touch you need to give to others, a certain boot up the ass some need, or is it simply, it is individual. It doesn't matter if it's a boy or girl, everyone needs to be looked at differently. Yeah. I'm a very big one to be looking at, at each athlete's eyes. You know, I feel like you can tell a lot through the eyes, you know, the eyes are the map to the soul. And, um, you know, and I don't think it really matters. You know, you can always tell with, doesn't matter whether it's a girl or, you know, a female or a male, you know, if, if you can see a male's hurting, you know, and you, you get them out and you talk to them and you, you keep on asking questions. It's almost like peeling off the layers of the onion until you get to the core of the problem and then you start talking about it. Um, and you, you do the same to a female. And sometimes you may, someone needs, may need a kick up the backside and someone need, may need a little bit of a pat in the back. But you, you've got to assess that as, the, you know, as it starts to evolve and, and as you start to understand the, the intricacies of what's going on. Well, now let's get on to your daughter, Lani, because there's no doubt she's <laughs> been on my podcast, you know that. There's no doubt I think she's, she's a superstar in the making, but I try not to heat that sort of praise on young swimmers because I also don't want to, you know, put a lot of pressure on their shoulders, but there's no doubt if you, you know, you look at how she's tracking and how she's doing and the work ethic she has and even just her um, mentality towards things. She's very carefree at times and she doesn't take things overly seriously. I mean, there's no doubt when she dives off the blocks, it's game on, but outside of that, you know, she's, she's got a great attitude, I think. Are you pretty proud as, as a mum and as a coach? Um, and how did, let, let's go dial it back a little bit then. At what point did you start to see her tracking where you thought, oh, okay, she's, she's doing pretty well here? Well, you know, initially she was annoying as a kid. She, and, and, you know, at times she's still annoying in training. So Her nickname wasn't Flea, was it? Oh, yeah, it could have been. <laughs> <laughs> it definitely could have been. So, you know, it's, um, she was annoying. And, you know, and my husband keeps on reminding me of my nickname at yeah. that time. And I'm like, yeah, I know. Um, so... Um, you know, she, 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 you know, as I suppose as a eight, nine, ten, she was quite flippant, you know, she would go along and just, you know, and, and have a bit of fun and, and things like that. And she was, she was never serious and we never really took it seriously either, you know, and, and, but like I would say, you know, if she did a, if she did a PB as a 10 year old, it was like, yeah, you can get a 99 cent app, <laughs> yeah. you know, and things like that. Um, so the, there was that like, oh yeah, you know, it, uh, so she got that, that, um, I suppose that excitement of, of, you know, of doing, doing well. And it didn't really, she didn't really sort of come into her own until she was about 13, you know, she, and I know she said, um, you know, she went to H nationals, she qualified for H nationals as a 12 year old. 
and I wouldn't buy her a, a, a suit. You know, I said, no, you, you have to learn how to swim properly first. Yeah. And, um, you know, so she was one of the only ones standing up as a 12-year-old at state titles in a pair of normal cozies, togs, whatever you want to call it, New South Wales, Queensland. Yeah, I know. It's um, different. Isn't it? You certainly get pulled up on it if you say the wrong one in the wrong state, yeah. that's for sure. Yeah. So, and, um, and you know, and the other girls would, you know, would say, oh, you would swim so much faster if you wore a suit. And I said, no, that's rubbish. <laughs> I said, you're 12 years old. You don't get that benefit until you become you know, a senior or, you know, in your 16, 17, 18. Yeah. And um, so she actually made a bet and uh, if she qualified for nationals that she, you know, that I would buy her a suit. And um, she missed it. She missed the qualifying. I think it was like by point one. And I said, oh, well, you missed it. And, she, <laughs> you know, and I, and I wasn't going to give in, you know. Yeah. I said, no, I'm not giving in. But I, my, my husband actually gave in. So <laughs> she ended up getting a suit. She qualified for the three events. Um, but there, you know, there was one thing she actually did say the, the night before her first race is, um, what happens if I don't swim very well? And I said, I don't know, you tell me what does happen. Yeah. And she was like, oh, well, I don't know, you know, what, what, and I said, well, you're still going to wake up as Lani Pallister. You're still going to go to bed as Lani Pallister. Yeah. And I said, no, I'm still going to love you. I said, so you tell me what happens. So mm. she went, oh, okay. So she went on with that, you know, and she swam well down, you know, down Sydney and, um, and then went on to, you know, to 13 age nationals and started to really started to just show a little bit of um, talent, I suppose, and ability. But, you know, there's a lot of people with talent, talent and ability that don't, don't utilise it. Absolutely. So, there um, is. Yeah, yeah. So she, you know, she qualified for her first junior team when she was 15 um, in the 800. It was only the 800. And and then we were able to get her into the 1500 and, you know, that was, that's another story in itself. And, um, she, you know, she, 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 she travelled, she travelled well and she, she PB'd over there, which is what I looked at, you yeah. know, doing a, um, a PB at Nationals to make the team and then travelling to the US and then, tra- and then um, doing a PB again. But I actually, I was laid onto that team, so I was a re- replacement for Sean Eels. Yeah. And Lani was already put in the group with Sean Crow. And, um, you know, Jamie Salter and Glenn Berrigan said, you know, we can change her into your group. And I said, no, she's got to learn to be with another coach. So yeah. she, was, she, so she was with Sean. How uh, important is it for you to sort of remember what it was like for you as a swimmer, as you're being mum? And obviously you've got the, the difficult task of trying to, to balance that. But certainly you hear stories and you as a coach would, would see it. There's certain parents, apologies to those listening who identify with these words I'm about to say, um, that, you know, are a little bit more pushy. It means a little bit more to them than it does to their, their, their kids. Um, you know, rather than, you know, high five of them when they do well and give them a cuddle when they're not doing well. Is that, I mean, I'm not saying you probably fell into those categories, but were you conscious of making sure you didn't? Yeah, I always sort of said, um, you know, the parents' role is to say, good luck, I love you. And yeah. then when they come back from their, their event, as well done, I love you. You know, it's not to give advice because that's, that is the coach's role. And so I would always say, like, okay, Lani, now I'm speaking to you as a coach yeah. and, and uh, you know, I would give her the, 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 the rundown or, you know, the three things. I only sort of try to, th- you know, speak about three things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and then I'll say, now I'm saying it as mum, good luck, I love you. And is that always easy to, to differentiate? <laughs> because I, I could imagine, you know, there's times that you probably – say things at training or maybe she says things back to you and you think, okay, well, you wait for that. Or do you, you know, you'd leave it all on pool deck and what says, what's get said there. And then when you're in the car on the way home, it's all done. Yeah. You know, we, we made it a, a pact, you know, we, we don't swim about swimming at home and, you know, we, we leave it at the front gate at the pool. Mm-hmm. Um, she seems to do it better than I do. Uh, you know, cause I was sort of like, you know, I'm, I'm, I grind my teeth a little bit and, and stew on it a little bit and stress yeah. about it a bit and things like that. Um, and, you know, and it's hard because as a, as a mum, I suppose, coaching your own daughter and son, you know, I coached my son as well. And he was yeah. a Australian surf champion yeah. um, as well. So he was very good. He would, he would still call me mum at the pool, but um, he would do what he was told. Whereas Lani tends to push the boundaries a little bit at the pool, well, mm-hmm. quite a bit. And, um, you know, and, and I would come down quite hard on her, you know, and I still do come down quite hard on her. And I think it's because 
you the perception of other other parents is that oh it's all about Lani and it's yeah. it's not all about Lani because I wouldn't have you know, national surf champions and, and um, you know, states, you know, there was a young girl at uh, last year's state that won the, the 100, 200, 400, 800, you know, and, and um, so if it was all about Lani, she wouldn't have been able to do that. And, if mm. there's, you know, then I have another sprinter and then if it was all about Lani, he wouldn't have been able to do what he did yeah. either. But it is the perception of the, the, the other parents that's always on my mind mm. and I think that's why I'm, I'm, I'm a bit harder on her. Well, I mentioned at the top there um, you were Australian record holder and one of the records was a 17 years, 1500 metre record. What was that moment like when, when Lani, your daughter, knocked it off? She went 16.06.84, I think. So it was a pretty special moment. And I guess give me an insight because this is something that probably not, well, very rarely will anybody really be able to share a, a moment like this where a daughter breaks her, her mum's Australian record? Well, it's actually quite funny because, you know, I didn't even realise that I, ha- I still had that 17-year-old record. Yeah. And Lani swam and she went the 16.06. And then um, it wasn't until one of the officials came out and actually said, Janelle, you know, she's broken your record. And I said, what record? <laughs> and she said, the 17. And I was like, oh, the bugger. You know, <laughs> but, um, it, it actually put us, uh, you know, put Lani and I in the top 10 all-time Australian, you know, Australian top 10 uh, times for the 1500. We're in that top 10 together, mm. you know. So you don't, I, I don't think there's ever been someone like that, you know, mum and daughter in the same yeah. top 10 at the same time ever. So that, that's pretty special. Do you get moments to sort of, I know you had a, a few days away and got to read books. Do you get moments to sort of sit down and take a breath and, and sort of, acknowledge a little bit of, you know, the, the great work that you're both doing or even go back in time and, and look at the great work you did yourself in the pool. Do you get moments to appreciate what you've done or is it always, you know, what's next and we're planning on where we're heading and what's coming up? Yeah, it's something that I'm really bad at. You know, I, I don't give myself time and that that's my fault. It's, it's something that I have to work at and, you know, and, and the the five days away that I had, it was a it was, it was something that I said... I, I need to stop and I need to go and and um, you know the the Monday night because we'd gone up and checked in and I came back to coach Monday night and you know and I was dancing around and I and I said to the squad there is nothing that you will do that will annoy me tonight absolutely <laughs> nothing because I'm so excited to have five days off yeah and one of the girls said oh we can try yeah. and I said you can try all you want <laughs> and I said you know and I said you're not you know, I'm, I'm not going to get cranky and um, but I would be like one hour to go, fifty minutes to go, you know. And and it got to the time where they got out, and um, you know, I was waiting to to lock up the cage and everything. And I counted down ten, nine, eight, seven, all the way down to one. And as soon as I locked up, I was just like, I'm out of here, you know. So, um, but it is something that I I really have to um, put a little bit more effort into, you know, and, and try to to smell the roses a bit more. Mm. Well, it brings me to my next question because Janelle, I'm on a quest to find the elusive balance, the work life balance. As you know, I've got a almost two year old daughter. I'm married. I'm full-time coach. I've, I've got this gig, obviously, which is starting to spiral into almost being a full-time job. I don't know how it happened, but all of a sudden I was speaking <laughs> to three people today. So it's just, it just keeps going. Um, and and there, it is, it is difficult, you know, to, to find that balance because, uh, and I've said this before, I'll say it again, you know, there's times right behind this, uh, computer is, is the garage door. And there are times I hear my daughter knocking on it saying, dad, dad. And I think, you know, I've done this all day. Should I still be in here? You know, should we be at yep. a park just playing and, you know, am I working too much? Is it hard to find that balance? Do you think you've got a good handle on it? It is hard to find the balance. You know, we, Lani and I, and I say Lani and I, but, you know, my son is still around, yeah. um, you know, still lives at home and, and you know, we, we you know, he, he comes home from work and he'll come and sit and talk to us. So, like, we'll be in bed or something and he'll come and sit and talk and, um, and, I'll, and I'll always say to him, I really enjoy you sitting and talking to us. Mm. So, you know, I, I always try to give time um to, to talking to, to my son Owen and, and, and to talk with Lani. And generally with Lani, our time together is generally based around shopping, you know, so yeah. it's it's a very 
She um, did mention that on the podcast that she likes shopping. Yeah. Yeah, 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 she does. Um, It's a very non-committal, you know, we don't talk about the swimming, we talk about the shopping and things like that. And she'll always say, oh, this will look good on you. And I go, yeah, where am I going to wear it? To the pool? (laughs) Um, You know, so that kind of thing. So, but um, I I tend to to walk with her and she shops now. So, which is, you know, which is fine. But but it's an important mother-daughter thing to do. And, and it's something that I always make sure that I do do. And also, you know, time for my husband as well because I'm around other men quite a bit. So, you know, I've got to make sure that I give him time. Mm. Is it hard to switch off from work? I know for myself, we're always <laughs> planning, I'm always writing sets. I'm, you know, where are we headed? What are we doing? Especially around this time when things are so uncertain. I know you guys have got a bit of a better handle on it up there in Queensland. I know, um, you know, short course champs are on and things like that. I can see down here, not as much is happening. There's a little bit here and a little bit there, but it's a bit uncertain. Is it easy for you to, to switch off and, and to, to not think, or is that something you've had to learn? Like, were you bad at it at first and you're getting better? Oh, no, I'm still bad at it. I, you know, I, I, um, I, I, I yeah, they're, they're, I, I know when I, it's getting too much because I'll be starting to wake up at one o'clock, two o'clock, and the mind ticks over, you yeah. know, and, and it's, it's just ticking over and ticking over. And then you finally get back to sleep and the alarm goes off at four o'clock. So it's, I know when things are starting to, to, to starting to spiral mm-hmm. and um, you know, those are the things that I start to really notice that, that now, and then, like I said, that's why there was this, you know, I, I put in for five days off. I've got to get, I've got to go, I've got to give myself time and, you know, and, and, these, the, the five days I actually read two books and it was two books more than I, I have in the last five years. So, yeah, it was, it was a, a very much needed break. Mm. Mate, uh, I, I want to ask a question for all the young sort of coaches out there that are either assistant coaches now or about to be head coaches, whatever it may be. And they're looking at ways to, you know, try and build their legacy and their program. What are certain fundamentals that you looked at when you sort of started a cotton tree and, you know, did you have a list of things that you, you wanted to get nailed in first? Well, it's, it's, I suppose it's a, it's a long story in regards to how I got to cotton tree. You know, I, I was at one pool and then I actually left that pool and started my own business. And, and I started with about, well, I know there was two certainties and that was Lani and Owen. Mm. Um, and it was just me. So I was, I was, doing all the bookings, I was doing the, you know, um, taking in the, the payments, I was, I, I was doing everything. So it was all me and, and, I, and I just slowly over a five-year period was able to, to develop a, re, a really good team. And I was only in a six-lane 25-metre pool and the, the, the shallow end was point, uh, point 0.9 of a metre. So I was able to, to, you know, and Lani was in there until um, uh, 2018. So, you know, so we were still able to get really good results out of that pool. And, yeah. you know, I remember Stefan Widmer saying, all you need is warm water and clear water. So, and that's sort of what I, what I ran with. So I was able to develop a, a good culture out of that. And then when I, when I, um, Cotton Tree actually rang me to see if I would come across, pretty much my whole squad came with me. So my culture came with me. And um, so anyone that was coming in yeah. was was came into the culture that we had I had already set over a five year period. Yeah, that is um, a great story and and definitely well deserved. I think I, I was very happy for you when you got that gig. I think you definitely deserved it. Now, I like to finish my chats with some less serious questions, um, and I like to just basically throw it out there, and you give me whatever's uh, first on your head. Don't be embarrassed about certain things. Certainly around music, I think sometimes people are embarrassed to admit <laughs> what they listen to. Oh, my so. I don't like my music, so that's all right. There's no judgment here because some of my choices <laughs> are very bad as well. Um, so. I yeah, I'll say it and then you just throw out what what's, uh, comes to the top of your head. So what is your favourite music to listen to? I, yeah, I, I like 70s, 80s, 90s, anything that I can understand the words and there's no swearing in it. So, you know, I, I generally play all my music that I've sort of collected on Spotify and things like that. And I'll say to the squad, who sings this? And, you know, maybe, I don't know, um, Blondie or it might be In Excess or it might be Rod Stewart or Elton John or things like that. And um, if they can't get it, I'll just go, oh, well, I would have let you out if you had have known. Yeah. Um, so I'm introducing them to my music. <laughs> so School of Rock, you've almost, you're, you're reproducing School of Rock. You're, you're yeah, 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 that. I love it. 
Yeah. Uh, I have, uh, I have big issues at the moment with my squad in terms of the music. I, I don't know any of them. All I know is their, their people's names are little Uzi and little this and little that. And they say horrible things. <laughs> so do you ever let them just listen to a bit of their own music? There are times we might stretch and activate and I'll say, listen, all right, if you keep quiet, cause unless if they're very loud, then no, but if they can keep quiet and keep to themselves and do what they need to, I'll let them put a little bit of mute, but some of the, wow, some of the songs I've heard, <laughs> I think, what is going on today? Anyway, we I digress. Uh, no. What about favourite movies? <laughs> no. it's, oh, fa- um, well, Farlap. You know, Farlap was one, you know, as I said, it, it relates to my nickname that I was given, Big Red. Yeah, who um, gave you that, that, by the way, that nickname? Uh, Dick Kane. Dick Kane and Ian Hansen. They, um, they called me Big Red. So, it, uh, you know, and it, it's good because, you know, Farlap was a champion, had a big heart mm. and, and trained bloody hard. So, it, it's, you know, I, I took that as, a, um, as a, a badge of honour, really. Yeah, term of endearment. Um, uh, Coach Carter. I love Coach Carter. Um, you know, the Rocky movies, mm. um, things like that, you know. I suppose I, suppose I really like uh, Rocky Three when he sort of really starts to question why he's doing something and has an epiphany and then goes on to become the champion. Mm. Um, you know, uh, yeah, all those kinds of things. I, I like that. You know, there was one one movie, Patch Adams. It's a bit of a, a feel-good, nice, yeah, you yeah. know. Robert Williams. Someone, yeah, someone doing something really, really nice for people. You know, I always found interesting about the Rocky movies is um, every pretty much movie was the same, but we still watched it and we still loved it. <laughs> it was always the same concept, even to Creed, you know, the yep. Creed movies I've really enjoyed as well, but it's the same concept. Yep. We're still riding the same horse and we're all yep. still watching because we enjoy yep. it. Yeah, yeah, and, you know, and it's it's... I, you know, I think we like it because it's someone that's, you know, working really hard to get results. And, and uh, you, you look at that and, and you go, yeah, that's, 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 that's what I love. And I, I think that's what's been my life. So, you know, that's where I, I really get off on that kind of stuff. What about your favourite? I don't like scary movies. hate no? scary movies. Okay. Oh, I hate them. I, I jump and I make everyone else jump around me. <laughs> so they still make you watch them <laughs> even though you don't like it? I can. I jumped in Independence Day when the when they cut the alien open. I screamed and you know, and I scared my my husband and his mate and everything else. So, you know, anything that's really sudden, I jump and yeah. My my, my son nearly lost his his hot chocolate one day and, because I screamed. Well, I won't give you any of the recommendations that I, I was going to about some movies on uh, Netflix and I'll, I'll keep those because um, <laughs> I don't want to scare you. Uh, what about favourite books that you would recommend? I know you like reading. What would you recommend people get around? Uh, the, the, well, I've just read uh, two really good ones, um, which was called Chasing Excellence by, by Ben Bergeron. Um, it's about a, a CrossFit Games coach, you know, coaching to um to elite athletes you know to winning crossfit games you know and talks about the mindset mm. uh, another one was from chrissy wellington she's a, a triathlete and she spoke about her, her journey and then it's an autobiography of her journey of um she wasn't really an athlete until she was in a, into her 20s and then she started to to realize that she was okay at something and she became you know the hawaiian ironman champion and and things like that so you know another true grit um, hard work story, open, you know, Andre Agassi, you know, great book. I think I was crying after the first chapter and mm. and then it really got into his life story and how he became the champion. So, yeah, things like that. I, I did start, you know, I was into a little bit of the, the thriller, CSI, Jeffrey Deaver books early and uh, it was the the, um, the suspense and things like that. But now I really re- enjoy reading uh, about successful pe- people. About favourite meals, what what do you like to eat? <laughs> um, anything that I don't have to cook, other than ravioli. Ilani loves ravioli, and we have it so much. And I'm like, every time it's like, what's what's for dinner? It's like, oh, ravioli. <laughs> but, um, what sauce is on the ravioli? I'm... Sorry. What sauce is on the ravioli? Uh, it's generally a, like a, a meaty sort of a tomato type tomato. sauce. I love fettuccine carbonara. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoyed that. I, I, you know, I like a good steak, mushrooms. Um, I like fish. I like salmon. Um, yeah, ravioli's not yeah, not on not on the books for me. Who does the most cooking at, at home? Because obviously the the kids are all older now, so there's there's more than enough people to to get involved. Who does the most cooking? Do you think? 
Well, uh, my husband does the most cooking because um, up until recently, he's, he's retired now. He yeah. was in the police force up here. He had to retire um, at the age of 60. So he's been forced into retirement. So he was always finishing at four o'clock while I wasn't getting home until about quarter to seven at night. So he would do the, um, the, do the cooking, hence the ravioli and, <laughs> um, you know, a little bit easy, easy to do and things like that. But, yeah, I, I'm not, uh, yeah, so I don't do a lot. I, I do enjoy it. And when I do it, I do a good job. Mm. Um, but, yeah, I'm, I'm home quite late, quite regularly. I'm a horrible cook, but like you, I get home quite late. So fortunately for me, my beautiful <laughs> wife always has uh, a food ready for me. So well, uh, I'm very lucky. I get looked after, I must admit. Um, favorite countries that you've visited? What are some of your favorite countries you've been to? Um, well, as a flight attendant, I got to go to, to quite a few and, you know, and I would, I would take myself out and just adventure. So um, I, I enjoy England. You know, I ventured around England quite a bit. Um, Tahiti's great. Budapest, love Budapest. Um, you know, I was very able to really get around and walk around Budapest, and 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 I did. I walked. I would have walked about, you know, near about fifteen k a day when I was over there, and and things. Um, mm. You know, but I I really love Australia. You know, we have so much to offer. So um, you know, so I I really like sort of. I would eventually like to sort of you know get in the, you know, the grain nomads and, and travel around Australia. Mm. It's funny. I was talking about that with the, someone from work the other day. We were talking about countries and said, you know, the thing I, I do love about Australia is there's places in the world you go to, to do certain things. You know, you might be going to New Zealand to ski or maybe Japan to ski or certain places you go for certain things. If you look in Australia, we pretty much have all of those things. You don't really need to go very far to do all the things you want to go and do. Yeah, Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, and it's so true. Like I'm not a great skier. You know, I remember being down at Perisher and on the, on the tea bar and it was a, you know, it was blizzard and it was cold. And I you know, looked at my husband, I said, I think I would rather be laying on a beach in Hawaii. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, but it's just me. That's just, I like the sun. I like the warmth yeah. and I like enjoying being able to enjoy myself. Yeah. If we're at the pub, what, if I went up to get a drink, what would I be shouting at? <laughs> Um, I'm not a big drinker, you know, I'm not, I've never really been a big drinker. I suppose I, I went through the, the stage when I was, you know, sort of in my twenties, you know, I wouldn't have the, the Midorian lemonade and things like that kind of thing or the Malibu or, you know, yeah. um, and then I sort of got into a little bit of the, uh, bourbon and Coke. Uh, and then I, then I stopped drinking, but I, you know, I don't mind a glass of wine, white or red. I don't care. Uh, you know, we did have Lani's 18th and, um, I, I, did tell her a story when I was 25, I was in uh, England, you know, with, when I was a flight attendant, we were doing some black sand booker shots. So yep. that's what we did for her birthday. And yeah, so everyone how'd they go like, down. Oh my God, Janelle. <laughs> yeah. How'd you recover from those? Oh no, I was fine. I was good. You know, because everyone said, are they, what, what are they like? And I said, well, 25 years ago, they were good. This is Zambuka you can like. Yes. Yeah. So yeah. We, yeah yep. So, you, yeah, light it up, stick your hand over it and throw it down. Just don't do too many. Man, I have a horrible story about that. I'll quickly tell it because it is quite funny because people <laughs> think how stupid am I. So we were uh, I was at, uh, <laughs> at a friend's place and, um, and we were drinking and he had Zambuca. So I said, all right, let's do it. And just as I was, we were about to do it, his sister showed up who was um, like a bartender. And she said, um, do you know with that I can light it? I said, okay. She goes, no, no, in your mouth. So I put the oh. shot in my mouth and I held it up and I opened my mouth and she stood there with one of those long lighters and uh well it didn't light actually but it kept just burning my mouth and singeing around and she was there for ages like don't move it's about to and I was like how look am I stupid why am I staying here oh no no you put the hand over it and then you throw it yeah no we're just trying to do it in my mouth say to any swimmers out there no don't do it do not do what I just said I was in my 20s so, yeah, so wait till your 20s to do that kind of thing. <laughs> I might edit that part out. Maybe it wasn't good for the kids to hear that. Um, <laughs> but I think that is a perfect uh, place to, to finish up. I want to thank you very much for coming on for a chat. I know you're busy. You've got, um, you know, with, with coaching, you're about to go back, as am I. We're about to duck off and, and head back to pool deck. So thank you very much for coming on for a chat. It's been a pleasure to go through your, you know, your swimming career, but also your coaching as well. 
Uh, good luck with everything up there with Cotton Tree and, and, and with Lani's success. And, um, mate, I wish you all the best. And thank you very much for coming on Off the Block Swimming Podcast. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks for your time. And be good to your family. They're the most important thing. Today's episode of Off the Block Swimming Podcast is proudly brought to you, as always, by Nico and our good friends at Pro Swim Workouts. A huge week of interviews still to come this week with many, many more inspiring women coming your way here on the podcast. They're ready to share their story, so do not miss a minute of the action. Until tomorrow, guys, be kind to one another. Keep smiling. And it's bye for now.